This is the Mentor Shift Podcast, coming out every second Thursday with Mickey Fahair. Welcome to Mentor Shift, man. This is Mickey Fahair, your host. Today's show is brought to you by Mindset Maps International. Mindset Maps International has developed, based on 20 years of research, an amazing tool called a Mindset Map Tool. If you go to www.mindset-maps.com, you can also take the Success Mindset Maps Inventory, which allows you to map out your current mindset in relationship to a specific business goal or life goal that you have right now in focus and compares it to that of very successful purpose-driven entrepreneurs such as Anita Roddick who founded Body Shop or you know Steve Jobs or Mohammed Yunus who was an amazing entrepreneur is an amazing entrepreneur in India and started uh, the microcredit uh, business there so it's a great opportunity um, because we take you know mindset for granted we think that if we have a goal we have the right mindset for it but many times don't we realize wow you know if only my my mindset would have been a little different i would have done it so i encourage you to try the mindset maps tools um, and it's again at www mindset-maps.com also if you like our show if you like what we're doing please give us a good rating give us a review and also subscribe on your uh, favorite podcast platform to mentorship so that you can always hear firsthand very quickly you don't have to do anything I'd like to introduce Scott Miller, a friend and a great expert. Scott has developed the MVM method, which is a revolutionary communication method that's grounded in decades of field research at the NYU Tisch graduate program, and also incorporating data from the latest neuroscientific research on memory, linguistic, and cognition, and carried out by world-renowned institutions like NYU's Department of Psychology and others. He's a visionary and, and a long-time investigator of human behavior, presence. His primary focus is coaching global leaders to effectively communicate and fulfill their mission. So, a warm welcome to you. Scott, thanks for being here. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to start with um, this word that is so important for you, I know. And it's an important word for me as well. And so many men struggle with it. And, and the word is embodiment. So what, what the hell is embodiment? Mm. <laughs> and why does that matter? <laughs> Is that a good question to start with? Just right in the middle? <laughs> yeah, it's it, that's a huge one. Um, yeah, I think. I, well, what come? I'll just blurt out what comes to me. Um, yeah, as you say that, um, I, you know, the word presence comes to me when you say embodiment, which is that I am, I am, physically and emotionally. Um, experiencing something mm -hmm. and I am able to express myself through that experience um, without, you know, uh, certainly without conscious filters because you know, we all know there's going to be many unconscious filters that are going to be part of that embodiment experience. But the ability to speak to one's um, physical and emotional experience in the here and now is, is, is what I would 
really what I would term embodiment, and certainly in the in the way that that I work with it with people, um, and that that you know that takes a certain kind of um, intelligence on many different levels, uh, uh, developing a vocabulary to start to describe one's experience in the here and now, you know, in the performing arts especially. Uh, or really working with any kind of uh, student or client, one often hears um, used as a prompt. So how was that? How, how did that feel? What was yeah. that like? Right. And then and then we sit and wait for the answer. <laughs> really not, I think, really not embracing the fact that like the, a large amount of the public has not been versed in language to even describe what what it is to communicate verbally uh, an experience that they've, that they are having or just have had, right. you know, and, um, and that goes into, you know, as, as we communicate through these experiences, uh, you know, I'm observing an experience that you're having it, but you're actually having the experience. And those are two very different pieces of information. And I think for, um, in certainly in, in, my history, those two have been used in an interchanging, interchangeable way, as if they're the same thing, like, you know, but they're very different. They're very different. Uh, what I'm seeing and, and feeling from you um, can be light years from what you're actually experiencing yourself. So then, so what's the bridge of that, that communication gap? How do we speak about this, this event in a way that is um, yeah. accurate, you know? And, and you know what? I, I have noticed, um, you know, I, I don't want to build a lot of stereotypes about gender, but I have noticed that men in general do tend to struggle with this idea of, I remember, you know, when my, one of my mentors, um, actually both in martial arts and in uh, coaching, where I was training as a coach, both of my mentors who have never spoke to each other and came from a very different background, they were both saying, Mickey, get back into the body, get out of the head, get back into the body. And you know, that, what, what that meant is, is I was there, you know, let's say on the floor, you know, trying to engage in a, in a, in a sort of a, a martial art combat. And, and I was thinking hard. And that doesn't work because, you know, there's no time to think. So you, you got to feel things. You got to respond to feelings in your body and, and, and you got to move almost like unconsciously. And, and that's a really interesting art. And, and it's not just martial art, right? Like, like you, let's say you sit down with your wife and you want to talk about your feelings. And if you, if you don't know how to get back into the body, if you don't know what you feel, what you're going to talk about is your thoughts. And maybe she's going to look at you and it's like, okay, thank you. That's useful. <laughs> but that's not what I'm trying to get out of you. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Do, do you find that it, there's something about man and embodiment that's, that's kind of challenging and not all of course, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know that, you know, there certainly from an early age, culturally, there's uh, a lot of um, moment to moment in the upbringing um, education on how to develop vocabulary, but also how to, how to recognize, yeah. you know, how not to stymie. Um, I mean, lo looking, just look, I, I, you know, we have, uh, we have three children running around the house, 12 years old, 10 and nine, the 10 and the nine year old are boys and they just never stop moving. And their, their energy is very different than the feminine energy of the, of the 12 year old. And, and their need to wrestle with each other every night before they go to bed, right. To really physicalize. And what I, what I constantly have to kind of in, inhibit in myself is the direction. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. Come on, we have to go to bed, right? You know, some version of cutting short this, this you know, physical, very emotional, physical, embodied experience that they're having. And um, 
so I see that, I, and, I, and I know about this stuff, and I study this stuff, and I teach this stuff, and still I feel this urge to say, stop, 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 stop to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and instead of just holding the space, letting them have that experience to its natural conclusion, um, with some boundaries, of course, for protection. Um, so I think from a very early age, you know, small boys are kind of misunderstood quite often in that space. Right, they go into school and they're encouraged not to move around. They got to sit in their seats, and that's changing now. And time, you know, a lot of that's starting to change. But again, our generation and has, you know, and before it's there was it was sit still, be quiet. You know, all all these uh, prompts to silence impulse. So then, then the man grows up to be the man, and there's yeah. all this silencing of impulses that happen, <laughs> and we wonder why. Why is that? You know, men are just, you know, just, you know, they don't feel so much. And they're so, well, ah, that's, I don't think that's true at all. It's, um, and I think that the, the, the thoughtful thing you're speaking to is it, certainly in the performing arts, you know, it's funny. We have a, there's, there's a historical uh, famous phrase, which is get out of your head. Yeah. So if you, see, if you see an actor, that's, self-conscious, which is just to say that they're trying to feel themselves, be conscious of self. And usually to do that, what the actor will do is kind of force some energy into the, into the moment um, in an attempt to feel self, to become self-conscious. And then the, the, the director or the, the teacher will say, you know, you, you seem a little self-conscious there, right? Which is an attempt just to feel self, right? On some level, or, or you, you're in your head, which is what you've just described, but the dilemma of being you know, the, 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 the funny part about all that is everything is in your head, right? It all starts in your brain. Yeah. Um, so it's a funny phrase that we've come up with. You're in your head. You How do I do this? That. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. But it, but it is that kind of the conceptual mind versus the intuitive mind, that sense of, you know, the conceptual can deal in the, the, the past, the present and the future and the intuitive is just, it's just in the present. And how do we get how do we get that person more into that intuitive place? That it, why that's valuable is because we're dealing with just present information. And I think a lot of these um, risks we have, certainly I have with my wife, is when I start to wanting to go into the conceptual mind of like, well, what does this mean? What's this going to add up to? Or, or remember that time you did that? You know, it's like past, future, past, future. And she's more or less trying to say, no, well. This is how I feel now. Doesn't mean anything. Just it's what I feel now, you know. Right. And I think I think, you know, again to generalize a bit, I think men have a difficult time to knowing what to do with that information. So I was going to ask you, um, you know, there there might be people listening to us and they're they're going, what? What what are they talking about? Like, I have heard getting out of the head. I have heard being present in the moment. So. I have I've heard getting out of the conscious uh, mind or, you know, um, being more intuitive. And, and you work with people in the performing art. You worked with famous actors and actresses. You've um, worked with news anchors. You've worked with politicians. You've worked with leaders. You've worked with organizations. And you're teaching that. So how do we explain to people in simple terms, like, what the heck am I supposed to do? Like, what, what do you mean? be present and listen, listen and engage with the moment. Like, I, I don't know what, what you mean. Am I not yeah, here? Yeah. W- well said, you know, um, I can, I can really simplify it, but it's huh? uh, like all, all great um, or all uh, refined abilities. Uh, it, it looks very simple when it's done very well. And the simple answer is, so, you know, you prepare, for an event, for a meeting, for a play, for a rally, for whatever you prepare. And the preparation, uh, it's a funny word, preparation, because you can never be prepared because what, right? It'll never replicate the moment that actually happens. So that's a, that's fool's gold as it is. So you, you can let go of that. I'm going to be prepared. But you can do whatever you need to do to feel safe and comfortable, right? And then once the moment of the event shows up, the challenge is that you're no longer in that experience because the minute you're trying to resource the piece that you've prepared, you're now in a mindset of 
there is an exact way I should be. Right. There's there there is a, there is an attainable space that I can occupy, uh, which of course is completely off. And and why it's off is because the more one tries to do that, which is show you how prepared they are and show you how confident you are they are. The more they do that, the more they bring attention to themselves, mm-hmm. which ultimately doesn't sway anybody, doesn't move anybody. And this is a, one of the most difficult things to work with with politicians because it seems very counterintuitive because they'll say to me, wait a second, isn't the point for me to bring attention to myself? Like I'm the candidate. I'm the person they, they should want to vote for. I'm like, no, no, the point is, for you to bring attention to them so they can see themselves in you, right? And in order to do that, you have to be relating to present information, which is information that is happening right now in the here and now, which which largely means you have to go into this thing I call jelly brain, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, I don't know anything right now. But somehow words are coming out of my face. I'm in jelly brain right now as I'm talking to you. I didn't prepare anything. My preparation is my 30 years of doing this, right? But I'm not going back and resourcing it. Um, but that's but that's what's coming out of my mouth because I'm here and now and paying attention to you and we're having this conversation. Right. The minute I stop doing that, I'm no longer present. I'm in some idea of some future event. And, um, and people feel that. You know, they really feel that in the audience or in, in conversation with somebody when they're not really. Yeah. Say more about, you know, this idea of they have to see themselves in you. That's when you're succeeding. So what does that really mean? How do people see themselves in you? Yeah. Well, there's, there's gotta be, there's gotta be basically, I'm, 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 I'm stalling here to think about how far, how how deep you get into this. (laughs) Um, just sort of, you know, anything that you can do to make this more yeah. simple for someone who's never heard that expression. Yeah. Like, what do you mean, Scott? Yeah. Well, there's, it, there's gotta be something recognizably human that's happening. Something that's recognizable to the person, right? If there's nothing recognizable to the person, then there's no place to attach to. Um, and I'm constantly right looking for places to attach myself, which is to say, understand the con, the conversation, the concept, find some commonality that we have. Where do I fit? Where do I fit in this? Right, this right. this this experience. Now, if if I come into an experience and all I'm doing is trying to get you to see me, well, what where do you fit in that experience? You don't fit, and you know it's a kind of manipulation that happens. So the more I can kind of release that, that sense of um, how I, I want this to go. Um, you know, job interview is a great example of that. You know, you do all this preparation and if all you do in the job interview is just basically repeat your preparation, it's very difficult for a person to get to know you, right? Yeah. And if they can't get to know you, they can't get to know themselves, right? Because I'll, I'll use this example. If I'm very clear with my point of view, if my point of view um, about dolphins is, I'm just making this up, is um, I think all dolphins are terrible mammals and they should be destroyed. Well, that's a pretty clear point of view. Now, you may not agree with that point of view or you may agree with it, but you're going to have an opinion about my point of view. Now, the minute you have a point of view about my point of view, you feel yourself more. You know yourself better, right? Mm-hmm. Because, oh, I, I'm, I'm that person who agrees with that position that he, he just said, or I'm a person who disagreed with that position. Either way, I feel myself a little bit more. And, I, and because I feel myself a little bit more, I know more about myself and I see myself. Now, when I'm not so clear with my point of view, if I come to you and I say, well, I don't know, you know, dolphins are pretty good. You know, maybe, I don't know, you know, I, th- I, guess, I think they're, yeah, they're, yeah. I think they could be you. Right. I don't know. I, so you're I, not actually saying that that you know being seeing myself in you is I actually agree with you. Not it, at all. And right. this is yeah, That's this an goes, important this clarification. Is part, right. Very important. Because it's yeah. it's really about loyalty of attention. What builds loyalty of attention, and we tend to think of loyalty as like I agree with you, I like you, I follow you. But look at Donald Trump, he's a perfect example, right? 
Yeah. He was a master and maybe still is a master of um, gaining loyalty of attention. Very clear points of view. Uh, you could take a side either way. And by taking that side, you have a better and a greater sense of yourself. And that's the attraction because you know more about yourself coming out of that interaction than you would coming out of an interaction where you're not so sure where this, where this person uh, sits or stands. Because then you're not so sure about where you stand because you don't even understand what's being talked about on some level, right? Yeah. Um, so that is the key to loyalty of attention. And that's what garners a lot of um, attraction, basically. But it's but to your point, Mickey, it's a great point. It's, it's not about agreeing or disagreeing at all, mm. right? It's about stoking something that gets the other person to feel themselves a little bit more specifically. Got it. Yeah. You know, you alluded to um, the idea of the jelly brain and having a plan. And, you know, I, I had a plan for this conversation and obviously I'm not following any of it. <laughs> <laughs> and But one thing that comes to mind and I want to connect it to here is I did promise, you know, to people who listen to mentorship that we'll speak a little bit about what does it mean to be an immigrant and the immigrant immigrant mindset and how that's different from other mindsets, if there's such a thing. And, you know, what I'm thinking of right now is that I think people misunderstand this question of, I need to see myself in you. So, th so that necessarily, what, what that means necessarily is that I have to agree with you. I ha we have to be similar. And I think one of the insecurities of being an immigrant is that you constantly feel different. Mm. And since you feel different, uh, you feel like, oh, so that's dangerous. So I need to blend in. I, I shouldn't be so different. What do I do with my accent? What do I do with you know the way I behave? How do I fit in? And so, so you go down on that road and it doesn't seem to work right? <laughs> so, so, so the, you know, the way I wanted to pass the ball back to you is, so first of all, why doesn't it work? And also, you know, if you can share a little bit about your own experiences around that, because you're, you're married to um, someone who is, um, you're, you're an American, but you're married to Hungarian, uh, you, you've lived abroad, um, you know, you, you come from, you have a heritage, uh, which is part of the United States, but it's kind of different. So I, I'm sure you have a lot to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, going back to the original thing, I think, yeah, I think the reason why it doesn't work is because again, going back to this idea of observational versus experiential information, it's, it's, if I look at you and I try to be like you, I'm, a, I'm observing what you look like to me that has nothing to do with what you what you're actually experiencing right and so we see this actually with with young performers when you're um the, the first place usually people fall in love with acting is is in the seat as an audience member watching something that right. they really love and they so they have a lot of this feeling that comes over and it's kind of a cathartic experience that happens so of course when they first start to act they think oh that's what acting is sitting in a seat, having a cathartic experience. And so they try to emote a lot, right? Because they think acting is emotion. Of course, acting is nothing to do with emotion. It's about doing. And sometimes the energy that gets released from doing, we call emotion, but that's not what actually activates someone in the audience. It's, it's the attempt that activates people in the audience. It's funny, acting, right? Act. Yeah, the word, right. the word mean, it's, it's very <laughs> self-evident, but still. But it's still, <laughs> still. It still happens. So I think at, from an immigrant standpoint, that is that is the kiss of death. If, if you're trying to, quote unquote, fit in by, you know, replicating uh, these behaviors that you're observing, as opposed to really understanding what's provoking the behavior. And that's the essential thing. Right? What's instigating internally the behavior that you're eventually seeing? And that's what you do in acting training. Eventually, you start to, you know, how you work on a character is trying to understand what's instigating behavior. Um, so it, Can I, you give I, an I, example of that? Like, Yeah. yeah. Um, so 
let's say understanding a character that you're trying to act act out or yeah, in person. You know, yeah. Probably the best examples are are when you're playing these characters that you could never imagine yourself doing, like you know, murdering somebody or uh, being, you know, unfaithful or all these things that you in your life have not experienced. So what do you do when you when you you try to embody these these you know characters? And, I, and again, I use that word character loosely. Basically, in in acting, it's it's just ink on a page or digits on a screen. There's there's no character. There's there's a writer. They've had an imagination and they've put these dots on the paper or on the screen, and that's the only thing that exists. And then there's you, and you come to this, these dots, and you in in input a version of yourself into this world. So it's always you. You're not you're not playing some. And th- again, this is part of my. Uh, qualm with uh, saying words like oh transformational they're so transformational because it, it it's it kind of it kind of gives a false uh, uh, impression to young actors like they're going to somehow transform like molecularly into another person no you're not you're still going to be just you and what you're going to do is you're going to kind of modulate pieces of yourself or behaviors or qualities to the front and modulate other ones to the back so we don't quite see them so clearly and so if you're playing these characters that you've never experienced before, you have to under, start to understand what motivates these behaviors. Um, and as you, as you start to understand and study human behavior, you start to realize that there's actually no action that could not be, uh, that could that is beyond the, the, the recognition of motivating. So you can imagine any kind of circumstance that would eventually get to someone to do something. Um, and that, and that's the beauty of acting for what, you know, if you're, if you're in it for a long time, you, you get a lot of these experiences and, and hopefully a lot of compassion starts to come from that. And it's like, oh yeah, I mean, given those circumstances, yep, pretty much I, I, I'd probably be doing the same exact thing. And so that's what the, that's what the motivation is trying to get your, your, your understanding, um, uh, uh, into, in a place where, when you put these these actions in place, the next logical domino to fall is this domino. It's not a stretch, right? But you have to set up the puzzle in a way that 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 domino falling is a very easy thing for it to happen. Um, whether it's in the play, the actions of the play or the character in the play, or in their prior life, you know, before the play, as these things are happening. Um, so you would do that. You would do that through your imagination. You might do it through some improvs. You do a lot of investigation on um, on all these. Um, so he, here, can I throw in a question? Yeah. You know, there's this famous statement that when in Rome, it's a proverbial saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Yeah. And, I, and I'm curious, when you are in Rome, do you do as Romans do? No, I, I, I never do. But... Um, but, but, and again, I probably do. Probably if you would start to observe some of my behaviors, you would see some kind of assimilation starting to happen. Because, I mean, it's an interesting question. Why does it happen? I think on, again, a theory, I think on some level, we all want to belong. Right. We all want to be seen. We all want to be understood. We all want to be identified. We all want to, we're pack animals. We want, we want to socialize. Um. So it's not a it's not a big leap. It's not it's not so much like I'm, you know, I'm doing it so I'm accepted. I mean, certainly there's some of that going on, but but very kind of under the radar. There's probably a metamorphosis that just naturally starts to occur, that you start to see. Um, you know, I'll use a, a, a simple example, uh, and I don't know if it's true for Hungarians anymore, but. Um, when I first came over here, this was like 2006, I, w- I would notice people would make appointments with me. Uh, okay, I'll see you. I'll see you on the corner at two o'clock. And I would show up at five minutes to two and, um, and, and wait and wait and wait and wait. Um, and at that time, I don't, I, 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 certainly the smartphones weren't so handy at that time and such. And, and then 
And then they wouldn't show up. And then at another time, maybe a day or two later, I would see them and I said, hey, listen, I was at the corner at two o'clock. Where were you? And, and they would be like, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, something, you know, something came up and, you know, I just got carried away in a conversation. And, you know, I and 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 the, the, the kind of casualness with time and space was very different to me from my kind of New York American experience. And it wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't mean spirited. I mean, all the ways I took it as I was offended that the person didn't show up, right? I, I suddenly put myself in that position. But then when I met with them and they explained what happened, I could see that it wasn't, it really wasn't any of that. Right. It was just really a different kind of um, relationship with time and space. And then I start started to understand the language a little bit, not, not speaking the language, but the construction of it and its relationship to time and space. Yeah. And so suddenly certain things started to make a little bit more sense. And so then I started to change my behaviors around that. Um, not that I would not show up, but I certainly would be more compassionate if it didn't happen. And also I would, I would be like making other plans just in case and, you know, right. or I would call just before, or, you know, I would start adjusting my behaviors. So that's, that's a bit of the immigrant experience too. It's now, is that, is that assimilation? Uh, um, Maybe, but I, I think it's I think it's just survival. I think it's you know you got stuff to do, yeah, day to day, and you're trying to learn the rules of the game in whatever yeah. situation you're in. I don't care if it's a culture, a country, a job. You're just trying to learn the rules of the game, and every culture has different rules. And for me, it's fun. I mean, that's why I love traveling around so much. It's, it's no, it's no mistake to me that I married someone not from my culture. Like that's very clear how that happened. Um, because I'm very curious about human behavior. I'm very curious about cultures, et cetera, et cetera. So, but for some people, I can imagine it's you know it's a life and death experience, or at least yeah. it feels that way. You know. And I, you know, I can relate to that because, you know, when I came to New York City, for example, one of the things that I wasn't used to is the distances mm. and that, you know, it, it could take two hours to get somewhere. So you got to leave early if you want to be there on time. Otherwise, you're not. And this has I, I lived in a city of two million people. You know, this is a city of over 10. Right. Like and the distances are different. So you, you got to learn and adjust. So I think that's clearly assimilation or, or, or adjustment, as, as, as you're saying. But then, you know, I got a lot of coaching from kind of well-meaning people, especially, you know, other immigrants. You know, like in the United States, you got to do this. You got to do that. Right. And, and I noticed that whenever I try to be, um, you know, in some kind of a way, because I'm going to see a, a group of Asian Americans, a group of Persian Amer Persian Jewish Americans, a group of, you know, Brooklyners. And I try to be someone I'm not, it doesn't seem to work very well. Like there's there's no connection there. There isn't. There isn't. Right? You know what's a great example of that is just saying that? A great example of that I hadn't thought of is um you know, earlier uh, in my early days of 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 teaching uh performers, I used to work with uh accent reduction. Right. Um and uh, I think there's a new phrase for it, like um, uh, something of intelligibility. I, I forget what the new, the new phrase for it is, but basically it's, it's uh, you know, actors that wanted to sound American basically and, and not sound wherever the country they were from. And the interesting part is that they would try to replicate what I was doing. And it, I had to, I had to find ways to convince them that you can't replicate what I'm doing because what I'm and meaning like, okay, to make a, an awe sound as in law, right? You're, you're supposed to do five things with your mouth. You're supposed to, the corners come in, the lips round out, the tongue does something, and do other things, right? So what I would try to get them to do is to do those five things. And then they would say to me, but, but when you say that word, you don't do those things. And I would say, that's true. That's true. I don't. I don't do those things because my ear has already understood it and heard it. Right. And it is, it's in, inside of me. What does that mean? It understands it in a different way 
um, than is necessary for my mouth now to form for your ear to start to hear the same exact sound that I'm hearing, right? And that was always a big kind of jump for them to finally give over to, to not just replicate what I was doing because they would have the same results, of course, in the same way. Um, this is what we call mention. unconscious competence, right? Like, yes, when I'm, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, but the, I think to your point, there are so many, and I think the reason why it doesn't quite work is if you're just trying to replicate me again, the, the X factor you leave out is you, right? And you're the one who's driving everything. So of course it doesn't work out because you feel inauthentic. You feel like you're manipulating something, which you are, right? Right. Um, that's a that's a that's a big that's one of the biggest things we work with actors on. I mean, if you're if you're on stage trying to show the audience something or try to um, experience your homework, like we said before, the only action the audience is going to start to experience is the action of manipulation. Same thing in a job interview. Same thing if you're giving a stump speech. Um, and and usually people don't have an embracing uh, relationship to being manipulated. Um, they feel it for a second unconsciously or consciously they'll start to defend. Right. right. So, and that goes with any kind of manipulation. It doesn't really make a difference for good reasons or for bad reasons. Right. They'll feel like there's something inauthentic happening. So I think when you're going to different spaces and places and different cultures, that's part of the challenge. How can you, how can you stay in your body, which I, which I'll call stay over your feet. Right. And that's where the breathing work makes a lot of difference. And, how do you stay with present information? Um, uh, but it's challenging this idea of like, oh, I'm, you know, it's a, it's a catchphrase nowadays, you know, you're enough, you're enough. Right? But like, what does that even mean, right? Um, enough for what? Um, so I, the last thing I'll say is that what helps me is to move into these situations with a with a spirit of curiosity, which is not what I can do here or how I can be seen or how I can see, but but okay, let me let me actually be curious about what's happening here, which is to say, kind of in a in a in a learning mindset all the time, um, not to really any end, not like okay, I'm going to learn this and then I'm going to then I'm going to get it perfectly right. But really just to kind of stay curious, because what it does unconsciously, when you're in that state of curiosity, your attention is out. Right? It's not on yourself. And if your attention is out into the world, then we feel like you're accessible, you're safe, you're not hiding anything back there, you know, conjuring and planning. Um, and those experiences, I think, are more fertile and away from the, what you originally described right because if you're trying to do something or be someone or be uh, act in a certain way you, you're not out in curiosity anymore you know um and it's subtle but we feel it i think on some level yeah i think it's it's huge in like you know when i work with people and they're trying to get a job you know, th this is often a question, you know, I'm going to go to this interview. This is what I know about the company, about their values and culture. So how, what are some tips and tricks to look like I fit? And yeah. I think the whole premise is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're going to pick up on that. You're, 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 you know, trying to be someone that you're not. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, look, if you're desperate for a job, I get it. But if, if, if you have some choice, I mean, ultimately, do you want to work? Like if you're able to pull the wool over the eyes of the person doing that, mm -hmm. um, how close is that person paying attention to you? You know, on some level. Uh, can, I, can I ask you a big question though? Um, because you, you could get really confused here. So, because we are saying be authentic, be authentic, don't pretend to be someone else, engage with, with, with a learner's mind, jelly mind, get it, okay. But what is professionalism? So isn't professionalism about, you know, doing certain things in a certain kind of way, which is in a way you, you, you could say it's a pretense, you know, I'm acting professionally 
So therefore I choose not to react to this or that, or I'm acting professionally. So therefore I, you know, create a certain kind of message, which I think belongs to this moment. So I'm a, I'm a professional. Mm. So, so what, what is this idea of prof- being a professional versus authenticity and vulnerability and jelly mind? Is there a contradiction? No, it's great. It's a great question. Let's see. I think what comes to me, I mean, what comes to me right off the bat is context, right? Again, it's, it's, we have this phrase in, in, in the arts, know the play you're in. Know the play you're so, in. Right. Know the play you're in because, you know, a ro- you, you can't act the same way in the romantic comedy that you would in a, in a you know, 16th century restoration piece or w- whatever century, right? So, um, so when you know the play you're in, right, when you know the atmosphere you're in, when you know the context, um, then acting responsibly is always consistent with the context you're in. I, I act very specifically as a father, that's different than as a husband, that's different than as a teacher, grad student. Right. Um, because each one of those events has different participants, has different relationships. So for me, acting professionally is knowing the play you're in. It's like, I, if I act with my kids like I do with my grad students, I'm not, I don't know the play I'm in. And that is not acting professionally, right? And, res- and more, more importantly, I think response, responsibly, right? You can say responsibly, but really it's responsibly. How I am responsive to the children is very different to how I am responsive to grads, my grad students or to my wife or to other people, my friends. Um, and, and, and then one, and then my ability to develop a, a kind of consistency in these different worlds, I think lends, lends a sense of professionalism to myself in these interactions. So my wife starts to depend on me acting in certain ways and behaving in certain ways when I'm in relationships with her, uh, different aspects of relationships in, in, involved in the, you know, the giant relationship that we have. Um, if I start acting bizarrely, inconsistently, that's not, that's not responsible. That's, that's, uh, that's not responsible to the third entity, which is the, the relationship. There's me, there's her, and then there's a third entity that we've both committed to, to which is the relationship. And so we both have a responsibility to that thing, right? And the juggle is, okay, how do I maintain that and my responsibility to myself, right? I don't even think I have a responsibility to my wife. I mean, she, she's her own person. I have a responsibility to the relationship and this agreement. And if I take care of these two things, myself and this agreement, we're really good. We're really good. If I try to take care of her, well, now problems start to happen because I, you know, I'm doing it for her own benefit, of course, which is all bullshit, right? I'm doing it for my benefit and it's all masked. (laughs) And then the problems ensue. And the same with every little world I, I, you know, rotate around. And I don't think that's any different for anybody. You know, if you have a clear sense of your role in these worlds, um, you know, in a classroom, when I teach, I'm a big believer in, in creating a non-status environment. And all that means is that um, lack of separation. Now we all have roles. Uh, if I'm the leader in that room, my role as leader is X, Y, and Z. The student has a role and they have responsibilities. And if we all kind of stick to the agreements that we laid out in the beginning of the semester, just beautiful, miraculous things happen in that space. But if I don't, stick to these agreements or if I somehow put some value on these agreements and use that value to try to control them in a certain way, then that's not acting professionally, right? And nor responsibly and nor responsively to them at all. Which is very, yeah, it's very transferable to leadership, right? Like it's establishing a set of rules, establishing a common goal and a vision and then kind of, you know, doing this together, but not on a base, uh, basis of status where I, I really want to micromanage and control you, which, which you pick up quickly. And then we become, it's us and you, and, you know, there, there's a game there. 
and I'm trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. And I'm trying to use you. And so I don't like you anymore. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right. Mm. And that's, and the, and the convolutedness begins. I mean, again, going back to all, to the original thing we started talking about embodiment, that's why the ability to, to, um, to have an, have an experience, embody an experience in the present moment and communicate through that experience is so important. Not, I don't want to say, I don't want to measure it like say mostly, but it's one of the reasons I think it's so important is because um, then I don't, I don't get to hang on to it. Right. right. It's been experienced, it's done. I don't get to laud it over you have these little chips and markers that I'm going to carry around with me to just, you know, to use when I most need it. And it's just so much simpler. It's just so much simpler right? and less convoluted. But part, you know, part of, part of the trick of people who are trying to control other people is confusion. Yeah. Right? They, they want to breed a lot of confusion. And what better way to breed confusion than just kind of like holding back information, taking markers, Using them later, it's just like, whew, it's so exhausting. Yeah, you know what, what comes to mind as I'm listening to you is um, somehow I, I, I kind of moved from immigration to traveling, and you know the nature of travel, how it as it relates to us to have a learner's mind and the jelly mind and being curious, and it's interesting that. You know, I, I have not expected that in the U.S. I often meet people who have never been, never left the United States. And, you know, I, I, I sort of try to explain to them why that's important. And then even more so, I, I met people who have been traveling a lot. And yet, you know, every time they travel, you know, let's say they, they go to a resort. Um, so they, they, they go to this other place. So they have not been to to Mexico or Spain or you know, wherever they have been. But interestingly, they're not really experiencing any of the reality that's there in these countries. Mm-hmm. So, so as a well-traveled person, you know, what, what's your experience? You know, why, why traveling is important and how do you travel? Do I yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm always um, traveling. You know, I'm always, as an adult now, as an older adult, I'm traveling with purpose, right? So I'm almost never traveling for vacation reasons and things like that. So it's, a, it's, it's purposeful traveling, whether it's a business um, engagement. Um, but what I always try to do, it's, I, you know, and I, I, I'm going to say this, this is a caveat because I know this would drive people completely up the wall. Like it's not, it's not uncommon for me to have flown into the destination airport, be sitting there at the airport on my computer, trying to figure out where I'm going to stay that night. (laughs) Um, That's not an uncommon occurrence for me. So I can imagine, you know, traveling with me would be, you know, kind of crazy making, but, but for me, it, it, it puts me into this kind of um, explorer mindset. Right. right. It's like now, I, now I really got to ask people for help. Like now I, now I have to engage with the public. Now I have to try to communicate with people. Right. So I like to put myself in, in myself in this like very difficult position, uh, these difficult positions as much as possible. So I, I'm going to have to reach out for help um, because certainly I could, I could insulate myself very cleanly in so many ways that you've just described. You know, but then I don't, I, I don't, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand why you would want to do that. Why, you know, maybe, maybe my example is extreme, but getting out into the, into the, the actual um, city or town or country, uh, uh, again, even within a country, obviously, there's so much variety um, that you're going to encounter. Uh, but I'm I'm obsessed with people. I'm obsessed with people and human behavior. That's why I'm in the, the field that I'm, I'm in. So these are amazing opportunities. Like even learning why certain dialects sound a certain way to, to start to understand that it's actually a lot of it's weather related. Like if you're if you're in a certain part of the country or if you're near the ocean, a dialect it's formed a certain way. Like this stuff is it's it's fascinating. And 
and certain there's certain physical attributes that get developed a certain way depending on what the region and the climate and the, the topography that you're um, living in. Um, but I don't know how you learn about any of that stuff and, you know, stuck in a, in a nice hotel room with room service with the TV on. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I could, I could, I could do that anywhere. I could do that in New York, stick it and stick myself in a hotel room with the TV on and get room service. So why would I go to another country and do that? That, that makes no sense to me. Um, but that would be my advice. If you're interested in really trying to like, what, what are some good first steps in breaking that habit of insulation is, you know, within reason, of course, and safety reason, put yourself in, in some, you know, challenging what is positions that you're going to have to ask for some help along the way, get lost in a neighborhood, right? Completely get right. lost in the neighborhood in a safe way, in a safe neighborhood, whatever, but get, get lost and, you know, and then try to figure you, yourself your way out. Um, also, I, I don't take cabs anywhere. I don't do things like that. So I'm always doing the mass transit uh, wherever I'm at. Now, trying to figure out mass transit in new cities and towns. Oh, my God. You know, I have this rule of three, which is I know if I ask a question that invariably the first answer will be wrong. So I, I have to ask the same question to three different sources in order to get close to a correct answer. But even then, you know, it's like, yeah. um, but the last thing I'll say about that is that, you know, in order to have this kind of fun, you have to build in some time. So if you've built a schedule where you're like, you know, you, you have to be there and you have to get there and you have to, you know, then of course you're going to have, you're not going to be noticing or exploring much of anything. Love it. Yeah. I think, you know, as a summary, I would say, uh, what I'm hearing from you is, you know, engage with the jelly minds and mm -hmm. allow for things to happen, allow for time and experiment, because only then you can grow, only then you can connect. So I think it's, um, it's a lovely lesson for um, all of us listening today. Mm. Thanks, Scott, for being here and, and sharing your wisdom. Anytime. Thanks for sharing <laughs> your wisdom. It happens together. Without the collaboration, nothing comes out. So thank exactly. You. The mind is relational, as someone smart said. That's right. That's right. I agree. Thank you, man. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much again for listening to the show. I hope you had a good time and you come back to us. Please don't forget to subscribe. And don't forget to give us a good rating. If you're interested in some individual coaching, check out www.mantorshift.com. Mentorshift.com. And also don't forget to get your mindset map at www.mindsetmaps.com. So it's www.mindsetmaps.com. And I hope to connect with you virtually pretty soon again. Bye for now.